0: We will remain standing for the reading of God's Word as it comes to us from Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue through our exposition of God's Word, looking at this wonderful chapter of Hebrews. We'll begin reading in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged them that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. One of the hot topics politically for the last several years in the United States has been that of immigration. Those that are coming into the United States from different countries, oftentimes fleeing desperate situations, looking for a better place, looking for a better country, a place where they could have peace and prosperity and a better future for them and their family. And whereas, yes, this must be done legally and as well as done in such a way that uh, protects our borders, I think as a whole, immigration, we as Americans, and especially we as Christians, should care deeply about, because despite all of our problems in our nation, and there are many, what a blessing it is to have a country where people are coming into Fleeing into rather than fleeing from. And all of that aspect of thinking of immigration helps us in our thinking of our passage this morning. This passage before us is an interlude of sorts where the author stops his looking at individual uh, people and begins to look at those that have gone on before. And he makes some concluding remarks. And with that, He says very clearly in this passage, of all of those that he has spoken about, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. To put it very simply, they were immigrants. This was quite literally true of Abraham and Sarah, the last two that we have looked at, that they left one land and went to another, but it was really true of all of them even if they stayed in the very place that they were born. All of them, the author is saying, were outsiders. All of them were strangers in this world. And it demonstrates for us a pattern that is true of all believers, all of those that will walk by faith, that we are not ultimately citizens of this land or this country, but we are sojourners. We are strangers. We are immigrants, even, that are passing through, and therefore we do not ultimately place our roots in this world, but in the world to come, because our ultimate citizenship is elsewhere. And these Old Testament examples that we have been looking at show us that very clearly, and we'll see that in Two points in our passage this morning that we're not to have faith in things below, but second, we are to have faith in things above. And so first, faith not in things below. As I mentioned, that this is a short pause as sorts in the author's exposition of these individuals, so as to give some summary conclusions. And so it's important that we would pause with him. Hebrews chapter 11 in many ways is a two-point sermon. Verses 1 through 16 and then verse 17 to the end of the chapter. And so this is that pause between the uh, end of first the first point and the beginning of the second. And so we want to pause with the author and make sure that we understand this point. And even more so that it is true of our lives. And the main point of this first chapter or the the first 12 verses of this chapter is found way back in verse 1. Perhaps you want to turn there again. It's a very familiar verse, but it really sets what he says about all of these individuals. There we read that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In other words, to have a true biblical faith, there is a substance. There is a weightiness. There is a reality to the things that we believe in, that we have faith in. It's the opposites of a vapor or opposite of a mist. And we know that real substance, that real weightiness is God Himself, the one that has made and created all things, and who has revealed himself to us. If you've been with us in our worldview Sunday school class, then you know to have a worldview that is oriented correctly, we begin with God. Now many will say, no, you need to argue, you need to reason your way, you need to give evidence to justify your belief in God. They would say you can't just begin with God. And to that I say, why not? That's how the scriptures begin, right? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God. In other words, Moses did not need to give convincing arguments for the existence of God. No, he simply states that he was there and had been for all eternity. And in fact, the author of Hebrews says the very same thing in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those that seek him. And so we begin with God. Just like the unbeliever begins that there is no God, he presupposes that there is not a God. And that is because he sees himself as his own authority, that he has autonomy, that he himself is God like, because he believes that same lie that the serpent told Eve so many years ago that you shall be like God. And from this they have a worldview that is shaped by this faulty starting point that leads into all sorts of problems and have been since the time of the fall. As we saw this morning, it really begins with that wrong heart, that wrong heart worship, that wrong love, where it's no longer love for God and then love for others. It's really love for self and then others and then perhaps maybe God. But we, as we begin with faith, begin with God. There is no other starting points. And that God is Unseen, and that is what the author of Hebrews is trying to say in chapter 11 here that all who have faith walk by faith and not by sight, that they have faith in this unseen God, this unseen reality that is the substance of the entirety of their life. So, he spoke of Abel. That Abel gave of a better sacrifice, and he gave it to the unseen God. Enoch walked with God and pleased this unseen God. Noah built an ark because he was commanded to do so by this unseen God and this judgment that was yet to come. Abraham left his country and went to an unknown place in obedience to this unseen God. Last week, Sarah believed not in her unfertile body or that of her husband, which, as it says, was as good as dead, but rather believed in the promise, believed in the promise that was given by the unseen God. And so the same thing, if we are going to walk by faith, we need to have a strong faith in this God, even though that we do not see him, it is the means by which we see everything. And so if your faith this morning is, well, I'm just not sure, or I think there is a God, or perhaps there's a higher probability than not, or I'm testing the waters, I'm putting one foot in, but one foot in the world, or I think it's true, why not give it a shot? And I'm telling you, then you don't have the most basic element of faith. Which is to say, you do not have faith at all. True faith is saying that without God, there is nothing, that He upholds my very being. Scripture says, In Him I live and move and have my being. I need God more than I need the air to fill my lungs in this moment. I need God more than I need blood to circulate throughout my body. God is my life. I have no life outside of God Himself. That's what the Apostle Paul said, right, in Galatians 2.20, which some might say was Paul's life verse. It was his life motto. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You hear what Paul is saying. My life is dead. He was crucified with Christ. But Christ's life is now my life. Paul says that is what is true faith. And that is what it means to walk By faith, God and me, and me and God—you cannot separate the two. You cannot compartmentalize. No, there is a unity. There is a oneness. It is all of Christ, and so that is what we mean when we say that faith is the substance. Without it, we don't just lack. We're not just missing something. No, we have nothing. So, is that your faith? Is that your foundation? Is that your substance? Is that your existence this morning? Can you say with that great hymn, Rock of Ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. That is the faith that we are to have. Is that the faith that you have this morning? That's what the author is trying to get at. That is the point that he is trying to make in the first half of this chapter. And it's important for us to, to review all of that. And all of that was a review given to you this morning, free of charge. But we need to understand it, to understand what he's trying to say in our passage this morning. Because he goes on to say in verse 13 that all of these died in faith, not having received the things promised. The point of the author is that all of them walked by faith not looking to the things of this life not looking to the things that they left in the past not looking to what they could get in the present not even looking to the very things that god had promised rather they were looking to god himself and that is so vitally important and it's a point that i think that we oftentimes do not get because oftentimes we have an americanized faith we have an American mentality and perhaps it's just a human mentality but the American mentality is what can I get out of it that I am the consumer what can I receive if I'm going to make a trade then it's going to be a good trade and most likely I'm going to have to get the upper hand in order for me to really want to do it to have the motivation in order to have this be what I pursue And so the question becomes, do we do that with God? Does God become a means rather than the end? And what do I mean by that? Well, God becomes the means by which I can gain a a better job, have a better marriage, to raise good kids, to have less stress in life, perhaps to lose weight. In other words, God is the means by which I become healthy, wealthy, and wise. Christianity is the means by which I'm blessed. And God is the way that is he's going to bless me. I had a guy at a coffee shop one time. I was there, and I had my books and my Bible there, and as he was passing, he said, just as an offhand comment, pray for me because I have a big deal today. Pray for me that I would close on this big deal, they understand that that is idolatry. That is making God nothing more than just a good luck charm. That is taking spiritual things and making them material. It's heavenly things and, and wanting them to be earthly, to be here and now. If that is your version of Christianity, then you're going to be sorely disappointed and even bitter at God. Now, does God bless us here? Yes, more than we deserve. Does God help us with our marriage and with our children and with our work? And is he concerned with those things? Sure. Is there a reward for faithfulness in this life? Absolutely. But all of those things are secondary, and none of them are reasons by which we serve god it is not you bless me god and i will therefore bless you no god is not the means no he is the ends he is that which we gain we don't believe in the gospel so as to gain our best life now we we believe in the gospel because it's the only means by which we as sinful wretches can be made right can be reconciled to a Holy God. It is the means by which we gain God Himself. And that is enough. That is sufficient for everything in this life as well as in the next. That is what the author of Hebrews is saying. He is saying that they did not look even to the things promised. And when it says that they did not receive these things promised, it doesn't say, and they complained, and they whined, and they moaned, and they asked, why not God? Now it says that they saw these things and greeted them from afar. Why? Because they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Meaning that they were looking beyond this life. Their mentality was not, bless me now, Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that they didn't have earthly comforts and earthly joys, and and even that they were possessionless. No, but their hope was in none of it. In other words, they would have traded all of this life in for a moment for what lied ahead for them. They were like the Apostle Paul when he says, i counting his path counting all the things that he could have gloried in, all the things that he could have prided himself in, he says, I count it all rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Is that your mentality this morning? Is God just a means to get what you want? Or is God the end? Because if God is a means to get what you want, then in this earth you will never be satisfied. Because nothing on this earth can satisfy. No matter what you gain, no matter what you accomplish, no matter what you possess. Do you think Tom Brady is more content now with seven Super Bowls than he was with six? Not a chance. Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla and SpaceX, who's a brilliant man currently trying to bring humans to Mars and colonize it was asked in an interview that I listened to is there meaning to life and he says I don't know this man that knows rocket propulsion and yet is uncertain about the meaning to life what a sad existence but it's nothing new is it because that's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that if we look to the things of this earth it's all vanity it's nothing new this world will never satisfy. Jesus says you can gain the whole world, and yet if you forfeit your soul, what ultimately have you gained? You've gained nothing. That's why we don't look to God as just a means. We'll look to him as the end. If you've gained God, then that's where there's meaning. That's where there's satisfaction. That's where there is contentment. That was the, the test. That was put before Job, wasn't it? When Satan goes to God and God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him upon the earth. Then Satan says to him, well, that's because you have blessed him. Does God fear, does Job fear you for nothing? You've put a hedge of protection around him. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan says, "Stop blessing him, and he will stop blessing you. In fact, he will curse you." And we know the rest of the story, don't we? And that is really the reality of the the rest of this chapter, as we shall see, that our faith oftentimes will be put to test, and it will be tried. Maybe not as severely as Job, or perhaps even as Abraham, as we will see next week. But it will be tested again and again to be shown so that we can see that it is genuine that we are clinging to to christ and christ alone and all of those tests are ultimately preparing us for the the last test the very final exam and what is that final exam well it is death itself isn't it and we shouldn't miss that point when the author says these all died in faith we shouldn't Gloss over those words that all die. Why? Because that's what all men do. They all die. Again, this week. It's been an, another week of death in this church. This morning we, we counted up four people that, that died this week connected to individuals in this church. And that's not a little bit higher than normal, but that's not unusual, is it? Especially in the midst of a year where disease and death has been the the headlines, has been the, the front story. And perhaps, maybe, just maybe, we've thought about death a little bit more than we would normally or typically do. And so when you come to those final moments, What is it that you will be clinging to? Is it the things of earth? Will it be the things below? Because if it is in that moment, it will be shown to be what it really is worth, which is nothing at all. It will be shown to be a vapor. It will be shown to be a, a mist, right? No person on their deathbed goes, well, I'm sure glad I have that extra million in the bank right now, or those three cars in the garage, or that wonderful mansion. Nobody says that. But if it is God, if your pursuit is after God, then in those final moments, your trust and faith will be with great confidence and even excitement. And so how will you know in that final day if you'll have that type of faith, if you'll have that confidence, if you'll have that excitement? It's because today, this day, you're clinging to God and the things of God over the things of this earth. That he is the substance, that he is the strength, that he is that driving force. Every day, every moment, all the way to your final breath. In this life, We do not set our mind on things below. No, rather we set it on things above. And that is our second point. And that obviously comes from Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your mind not on things above. Excuse me, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. And this passage is clearly a demonstration of what that means. And we need that reminder. And so did the people that the author of Hebrews was writing to because you remember way back when we started this series, we saw the context to chapter 11 and end of chapter 10 where the author says that those that he was writing to, that they were being persecuted. They were being imprisoned. In fact, their property was being confiscated from them. They were literally losing everything earthly. Their possession and their very lives. And so the author writes this to say, you need perseverance, you need endurance. Do not give up, do not forsake the promise. Don't forget what is ahead of you. As you look to what you have lost and you've looked to the past, it's so easy to do. And you can understand why in the midst of this persecution. You can understand why the people were saying, is this really worth it? Is pursuing Christ that which I really want to go after? And so the author is using these patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he's saying, listen, the the promised land was never the end goal. That dirt of the promised land was not what they were clinging to. No, it goes on to say in verse 14, no, they were seeking a, a homeland. They desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. And and I love what it says that if they had opportunity to return, they wouldn't have taken it because they weren't looking to the past anymore. They were looking forward. They had their hearts and their minds set on something much greater, much bigger, much more glorious. And it wasn't anything of this life. It was in the life to come. And honestly, that comes as a rebuke to many of us. Why? Because we get Awfully comfortable in this life, don't we? We get awfully comfortable in the present. And therefore, we don't really need to look to the future, do we? Of a greater and grander and more glorious day because we're quite satisfied where we are in the things of this life. I was talking to my kids recently and I was talking about heaven and what it'll be like. And I posed the question and asked them, Are you? ready to to go? Are you ready to go to heaven? And one of them, which will remain unnamed, said, yes, but not yet. Yes, but not yet. And I didn't come down on them hard. First of all, appreciated the honesty. But it also made me remember when I was that same age, thinking the exact same thing. Even praying, please, Jesus, do not come back because I've got a few things to do first. I've got a whole life to live. But as we age and mature and hopefully mature in the Lord and mature spiritually, that fades, doesn't it? We're no longer enamored by this world or the things of this world. And that especially becomes true when we experience trials and tribulations and Difficulties and the afflictions that so many of us go through. Not that there aren't things that we desire to be a part of. Not that there aren't things that we desire to accomplish and to do, but there is an ever growing longing for heaven. That's what the Apostle Paul faced, wasn't it, when he said in Philippians chapter 1, speaking to the Philippians, He says, I desire to depart and to be with christ which is far better but he says but it's more necessary for you that i remain in the body and so he says i'm perplexed my desire is to is to depart and go be with the lord but i understand that the lord still has more work for me to do here and i think that is the kind of mindset that we should have but the question that we need to ask is the heart motivation is that our desire is ultimately our desire To be with Christ? Or is it to just remain? Have we become too comfortable with things of this life? Those last words of the Bible are come quickly, Lord Jesus. When's the last time you've prayed that? Probably as an American, not often enough. But is that our attitude? Is that our mindset? Yes. Jesus, please, by all means, either take me to be with you or you come back to be with us. But either way, my desire, my heart is yours. As Calvin says, I I give you my heart sincerely and promptly. My heart is yours, O Lord. It belongs to you and everything with it. And that is what the author is trying to say to us, is that if we are Walking by faith, that is the end goal. That is what is always before us. We keep that perspective ahead of us. That is the shoreline, so to speak. If you remember back in the days of exploration, the days of Columbus and Magellan and all of them, that they would set out and they would sail for weeks and for months and they would have to deal with storms and seas, but they always kept a watch for land, looking for land. They'd keep one eye on the sails and one line eye looking towards the horizon, looking for the shoreline. And when they spotted it, it would be a a great celebration upon the ship because it would restore hope to them. Got to remember that this endeavor to set out on these explorations was a, a matter of life and death. They didn't know if they would ever make it back. And so to see that land, it would give them hope that, yes, they were going to make it. And in the same way, we have to keep heaven ahead of us to have that hope, to have that assurance and that confidence, especially as we go through the trials and the struggles of this life. Some of the very best hymns of heaven come from the black spirituals of this country, of this land. Swing low, sweet chariots. Go down, Moses. Deep river. Why is it? It's because in those moments, they had no illusions of good life being here below. And so let us likewise not get so comfortable in our ease and in our American lifestyle, living the American dream that we do not also Look ahead to a greater life, a greater kingdom, a greater country yet to come. And I tell you why, because all of this could be stripped away in a moment. All of it could be taken away in a moment, couldn't it? That's what happened with Job. That is what also could happen in this country as well. Persecution may be coming, like it did for those that this letter was written to, like it is for many brothers and sisters in Christ. And when it does, Will it find people that are ready and prepared for it? Or will it find people that say, well, no, I I really like the things of my life better than I like the things of Christ? Or will it find people that say, you can take all that I have, but you can't take what I have. You can take my life, but I have greater life still. You can take all my possessions, but I still have the greatest possession, which is Christ himself. And that's something that can never be taken. Is that where our hope is? Do we have that type of spiritual desperation? My wife often says in her line of work, people are not ready to become healthy until they become somewhat desperate. She's known some of that desperation in health. And we need to have somewhat of that spiritual desperation as well, that we're not trying to spiritually be satisfied in the things of this earth, but we're spiritually being satisfied in something greater, more glorious than anything that is earthbound. And so do we know some of that desperation for a greater place? Are we looking to Jesus to be our better country? Because as this author says in verse 16, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he's prepared for them a city. Remember, God was called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were perfect in their faith by any means, but because they were looking to him. And as it says, he has prepared a city for them. And that city we know from the whole of scripture is the new heavens and the new earth. It is the heavenly new Jerusalem of Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, we see the most distinguishing feature of that city when it says in verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see what is being given to us in this glorious new city that is yet to come? God. We are gaining God. We are gaining that which was lost in Eden. We are gaining the presence of God that we are able to be fully in His midst, that God will be with man and man will be with God for all of eternity. The substance of our faith will be reality. We will no longer walk by faith. Rather, our faith will be sight in that final day. And so this morning, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready in this very moment, if your life would be taken, then you would say, so be it, I'm ready to go. Let me cross that stormy Jordan. Let me enter into that fair Canaan land, that glorious land that is given to those that believe in Christ and Christ alone. I close with these words. These words hang on the statue of liberty. It says, give me, you're tired, you're poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That is the words, is the entryway into this land, entryway into this country. It is great words, but as we see from this passage, they can never be fulfilled by a land. They can never be fulfilled ultimately by a country, but only in God, only in Christ alone. And so if you are those that are tired, that are poor, that are yearning to breathe free, then come to Jesus. That is where there is true life and liberty and the pursuit of true and eternal happiness. Indeed, we are sojourners on the way to a better country. And so let us not walk by sight, but let us walk by faith, always looking to Christ above. Join me in prayer for that end. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, first of all, we confess that we are oftentimes way too comfortable in this life and look to our own comforts. And we grieve and complain and moan when those basic comforts are taken away from us. But Lord, not that we are unthankful for those, we are grateful for them, but may we not find our ultimate comfort and satisfaction in them. May we find our ultimate satisfaction and meaning of life in you alone, that through Christ alone we have gained the fullness of God. And God comes and dwells with us in the form of the Holy Spirit, and that is the good gift, that is the part of the down payment of our inheritance, of the greater inheritance that we are yet to gain in the life to come in the new heavens and the new earth where you truly will be our dwelling place, that you will dwell with us and us with you for all of eternity. Lord, that is too glorious for us to even comprehend or even imagine this morning. Lord, may we every Sunday have at least a little taste of it. May we have a little taste of Zion that keeps us going. May it be a respite to us, the springs of water, the springs of life that keep us going until we cross that stormy Jordan and enter into that true and eternal promised land that is given to us in Christ, O Lord. Lord, may our hope and our faith be found in this. May we be encouraged by it, because we encourage through the Spirit in Christ to pursue after God, our Father who is the end all, be all, for our very life and existence. Lord, we praise you and glorify in that wonderful word and that new message this day, the message of newness of life. that has started here below, but will be so much greater in the days ahead. Lord, we look to it with wonderful hope and expectation. We pray it in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.